Welcome to episode 679 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 679 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Good. Top of the morning to you, Bevan, on this beautiful Christchurch sunny day with the snow looking fantastic and clear blue skies. It's a clear blue sky kind of day. It's one of those days that's beautiful if you're in the sun, mm-hmm. but, but cold if you're in the shade. And they got the forecast right today, unlike Sunday, where the forecast was for rain and snow clearing. Cancelled right, my race. Oh, Go out to race you? venue, clear sun. Bastards. When did you, did you cancel it night before? Because Day before. I cancelled it 24 hours before. Oh. Anyhow, life goes on. I suppose it's an easier day for you. It was an easier day for <laughs> you me. Know that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's much, I know you want to put a race on, but it's but much less still, stress. Costly for everybody. You don't get to do a race. So, yeah. Anyway, let's crack uh, on with the show. Let's not talk about the, the weather. I never trust the weather forecast. You don't? No. No, you're, I don't trust long range. Well, funny you should say that because the more you say that, I find that long range is actually accurate and then it changes and then it goes back to what it originally was. So earlier in the week, I was looking at the forecast going, oh, it's going to be crap on Saturday, but it's looking like it's going to be okay on Sunday. The further the week went on, it got crappier and crappier on Sunday. So I do understand your theory, but often it works the other way. Oh, so you, you say it reverts back to the, to the, the, to the early, not you, to the You mean. look about a week out, lock that in, whatever happens between there and the, and the day of the race, forget about it. About a week. Because my wife, she loves the weather. Mm. Joe, lo- she's a bit like your parents. She got British heritage. Probably, yeah. we all somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> in New Zealand at least, or well, most of us. Um, and so, oh, there's a helicopter, John, right there. My goodness, yeah. a helicopter. just <laughs> there. So, but she's always worried about what's going to weather be like on Sunday. I'm like, babe, long range. Yeah. Worry about it. And I'm often right because she worries about it. Just um, anyway, John. This, uh, I'm talking is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your active buffer and our patrons. Name, let's name a few, John. Boy. Sean, the lights says go green. Beautiful, Daniel, the investigator, Clark, and Rob, the detailed deliverer. Nice, Rob. Great. Great sorry. I think he sent us an email this week. Uh, on this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We're kind of doing part two of the interview that we were doing from last week. So last week we had an interview. With, with Brucey, and Brucey, who had a heart attack. This week we've got Dr. Jeff Mears uh, from Australia. He's going to talk us through, you know, he's been looking into why, what can we maybe do to mitigate the chances of heart attacks affecting us, uh, especially for, you know, sort of the 40-plus athletes. Yeah. athletes. So he's got some really good practical solutions. Does mean maybe getting your wallet out of your pocket, um, but considering how much we all spend on entry fees and things like that, when you put it into perspective... Probably not a bad decision, and Bevan can tell a story about getting his fist up his ass on his annual <laughs> annual checkup, uh, his forty plus checkup again today. Well, well, the thing is, they don't actually do that. Take blood now. I know. I've never had anything up my bum. So from disappointed a doctor, from a doctor. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, we've got some. The last of our epic camp interviews are coming up as well, and then we've got some questions and answers at the end of the show, John. This week's news. It's a big week for ITU. Uh, you've got a lot of information here, so let's. Dig I have. I'm not, we're not going to go through it all, but if you haven't been following the 
news, uh, just for general for sports news this oh. week. You know, there's a lot of test events going on in Tokyo. You know, one one year out from the Olympics, um, down here in New Zealand, we saw the news for the for the rowing regatta, uh, and the, and it looks like the water's going to be potentially really choppy and potentially quite unfair if you're in a in a shitty lane oh, selection. Okay. Rowing, rowing is really lane based. Isn't it, it is. It can, well, it can be. Yeah, yeah. And apparently in Rio, there was quite a significant difference depending on what lane you're in. Uh, so they're doing a whole series of test events. That sucks, eh? It does. That really sucks. Mm. You know, like you look at like surf try, where that's a part of the sport. You catch the right wave. wave. You know, good. You know, well done. Whereas in this sport, you, you want it to be even. Mm. So, so this this week is uh, triathlons going to be on. Uh, on Thursday is the women. Friday is the men. Saturday is the para try, and Sunday is the uh, mixed relays. So, we you watch it live? Uh, it's timing wise for New Zealand is, is really good. I think it's ten thirty in the morning uh, over here. It's I think it's seven thirty in the morning over there. I believe come Olympic time, the race is actually going to be even earlier in the morning, like at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, to avoid the heat. Oh, uh, that's uh, a problem, and it looks isn't it? it looks hot this way, hot, but not not insanely hot like it's uh, forecast is 32 to 35 degrees so really hot and you wouldn't want to be doing it you know mid-afternoon sun um so anyway it's at 7 30 in the morning so good timing for us and and when the olympics does roll around i think a lot of the uh, the daytime events are going to work well for us the evening events not so well porno porno's going to it oh nice yeah i know yeah. love your work porno yeah. um okay so what we've got happening up so this weekend we've got what are you looking out for well the woman's going to be fantastic because uh pretty much everybody looks like they're racing and it's going to be the return of flora duffy and she hasn't raced all season long you know you think back 12 to 24 months ago, she was invincible. Mm. Pretty much like um, Katie Zaveris is at the moment. You know, you just go, she's going to win. She can pretty much win in any circumstances, normally rides off the front. So you kind of got to think, if you haven't raced for 12 months, she's probably not going to be on her top game. But hey, it does add another dynamic to the race. And... I'll go through some of the selection dramas in a moment, but yeah, it looks like all the females are turning up, which is great. And and, and the thing about, and you will talk about selection in a minute, is they have to deliver this yeah. weekend, don't they? For, for, for a lot of them, it's yeah. if you want to get an automatic slot, it's time to deliver. Yep. The men, um, I, I was really excited about this because I thought, right, everybody's going to rock up. This is going to be like a world champs. And then, um, yeah, Vincent Louis not racing. Don't know why. Maybe he's injured. Maybe he's not. And then Team Spain don't look like they're there at all. So that takes out Mola. Uh, again, maybe Gomez. Uh, Gomez. But Gomez did have a crash in in um, the last round in Edmonton. It was quite a doozy. So I'm not sure how badly he got injured. But it was a downhill high-speed crash. A Ooh. bunch of them went down. So I don't know uh, how he came out of that. So the men's field, strong, but... Actually, almost a little bit weaker than what you get on the, the regular circuit when you take out all the Spanish, which Mola's been up there, Gomez has been up there, Alaz has been up there, and they've got a Fernandez and one or two others. So, well, you have to talk in the last period of time, John. We've talked about the Poms have been so great at triathlon. Why are the Spanish so good right now? Uh, I would say much the the same. It's success breeds success. You know, you've had Gomez at the top for so long, and then you've had Mola come through, and that just pulls everybody up. There's eyeballs watching the sports, so young kids want to get into it, and uh, yeah, a lot of the people that are coming through are pretty young. And it's funny you say that, because a few weeks ago, New Zealand won the Netball World Cup, hmm. uh, and it was awesome, it was awesome, because we, basically, the story is, last year, we were terrible. We went to the Commonwealth Games, and we lost to teams, we didn't get a medal, never, it's the first time ever we haven't got a medal. And we lost to teams that were like 20th in the world, and in Netball, there's basically four teams, and then there's no one, um, and we were losing to these teams, and then within a year... We came back and won the World Cup, and it was pretty. It was an 
awesome sports story. Um, and um, what was really interesting is that week I, I take our runners at, at the netball courts, mm-hmm. and you go to netball courts on that night, and you just there's a feel. Mm, nice. You know, you could just see the kids were just like. You know, we're the best in the world, and it's you know it does draw people into sport, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and it was just a real cool example of that. So you mentioned the the Great Britain team, and I'm going to be fascinated on the men's side to see how young Alex Yee goes. Um, because is, it, is it too early? Uh maybe a year or two too too early, but it kind of depends how the race pans out. If it does become a big uh, group on the bike and the pace is not high, then I think he stands a really good chance. Come Olympic time, when the field's a bit smaller, uh, and if there's a breakaway, then you're kind of screwed if you're in the the second group. Because swimming's his weakness, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. So he's not not woeful, but he's, you know, he he, will make the, the main pack, but if there's a breakaway, he's kind of a bit screwed, so along with a bunch of others. So I'm really fascinated to see how he'll go uh, and how different team makeups will go because you have to be a little bit strategic with some of your selections because the, the athletes that you race the individual race are the athletes that you use for the mixed relays. So for the countries that qualify three males and three females, then you've got a little bit of wiggle room in terms of you know you can pick and choose who you want for the relay. But a lot of countries will only have two and two or two yeah you've got to have two and two um for for the mixed relay so who they select do you go oh this person's going to maybe get 15th in the individual race but we've got some young fella who's be shit in the individual race but they'll light it up in the in the mixed relay so some really interesting uh, selection criteria has come up now with this race it is a really important race for a lot of countries for selection but most countries have got extremely hard criteria if you want to get an automatic slot Okay, so here we go. Tell me about it. Yeah, and the, the reason for this, the reason they do that is because a lot of countries have been burnt in the past, and New Zealand included, is you have these automatic criteria and say you select a, a race and you go, right, the first two athletes across the line are going to get selected provided yep. they're in the top 15 or whatever. And then your top athletes bomb out or something uh. and you end up having to select a couple of athletes that you don't really want and then you kind of screw yourself. So a lot Was that what happened with the Australians in the early 2000s? Well, no, their, their problem was they had so many good athletes uh, and their okay. criteria often was a selection criteria. It wasn't a, oh, okay. uh, it wasn't like a race selection. It was like just picking the, the yeah, athletes. So that a bit they of favoritism. Well, I think they they probably picked the right people, but the, the, you know they had, was Mecca not being picked the right choice. Uh, I don't think he he didn't deserve. There was there was some other instances. Uh, I think Emma Carney maybe didn't get picked or something like that. Yeah. And, but she, her, it, was, it was very tricky. They had six or seven athletes that could like easily get dilemma. in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But anyway, so I, I looked at a couple of countries uh, and how their selection criteria work. New Zealand, nobody's going to qualify directly from New Zealand because uh, athletes who have obtained two or more podium places at Olympic distance um, nomination events during the qualifying period, so that's kind of the WTS races, and provided one of the two placings obtained is at the Tokyo event. We're not getting anybody on the podium in this test event, highly, highly unlikely anyway, and we haven't had anybody on the podium elsewhere at an Olympic distance race, so New Zealand's criteria will come down to... um, um, more picking than anything else because athletes won't meet the automatic criteria. For other countries, though, different story um, because they're likely to have somebody in that top three. So the battle for the podium 
you know, the difference between getting third and fourth at some races, like, oh, it's a bit of prize money. I'm not kind of on the podium, but yeah. get good points. You're not going to sprint your ass off, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but here, difference between third and fourth is going to be uh, automatic selection or having to sort of sweat it out. So Australia, for example, if you get in the top three at the test event, um, then you're automatically selected uh, as long as you're the first Australian. And then it starts to become complicated if you get a couple of people in the top three, then you've got to be the, uh, the you know, the first one of those athletes and then they've got other criteria sort of uh, below that UK is pretty tough but if you're Johnny Brownlee or yeah. <laughs> who was the other who was the female um, oh, Vicky Holland uh, Alistair Brownlee's not racing this weekend he's he's doing a 70.3 in a week or two's time but then he can still take the slot based on this well no so you've got to finish in the top three at this uh, at both Yokohama World Tri-Series race which we've already had and the Tokyo uh, Test event, so that's if you if you're not a former Olympic medalist, yeah, that's bloody hard. There's two events you've got a podium at there, uh, and then the second criteria they have is the uh, if you've got a medal at the Rio Olympics, then you need to get oh, on the top three okay. at this Test event. So if Johnny Brownlee or Vicky Holland get in the top three, automatic selection. Everybody else, you've got to get a top three at this race. And so are they the, making it pretty much so they have to select. Yeah, then they're really going. If somebody's outstanding, you're in. Um, but otherwise, otherwise we're so they're really sticking to cards so they get to select. Mm, yep. The, the, the selection criteria that I actually prefer the most is the uh, American criteria. So for automatic selection, you finish, uh, they're going to select the first two athletes finishing in the top three overall will earn automatic selection. It's not unlikely that you'll have two American females in the top three. Um, the American females team is going to be very, very difficult uh, to select. If only one athlete finishes in the top three at this event, then the next athlete finishing in with the top eight overall all will earn automatic qualification selection. So if you have, say, Katie Zaveris finishing on the podium and uh, Summer Rappaport finishing in sixth, she would get the second slot. So you've got to be in the top three or otherwise a second American within the top eight. That kind of makes sense to me. You know, you really go to everybody, this is your Olympics for this year. Mm. You should do everything you can to prepare yourself one single day and if you do it right, you'll get selected. Whereas when it's just in the top three, Pretty, pretty, pretty hard. So I reckon the Americans have got that um, really well done, and then they've got one slot left up their up their sleeve if uh, if somebody crashes, injured, or something like that. So Katie's virus. What I like about that is the athlete was responsible. Mm. You know what I mean? Like because if, if if let's say you have a bad day, and you don't qualify. You can only blame yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas if it comes down to like the poms, and then you get selected because so and so. Then it just becomes this big issue, and it's like you know, mm. there's like I remember Leander Cave when we were, when I met when I hung out for a remote years ago. Um, this was before she won Kona, and she was just saying she was so upset because she basically got the points to mm. get the third slot, and they didn't give it to her because she back in those days, you know, it was it's not the same now, is it? Or you get the points for you still got to qualify your country, and yeah, that, and that determines whether you get three slots, two slots, or one spot, depending on how many athletes you've got ranked, and and, and, so, and on. so what she did, she basically for a year, two years worked her animal like her ass off to get that third slot for the UK team, mm. and then they get someone else, and <laughs> she was pretty upset about that, yeah. Which you can kind of see both sides of the angle, but if you're the one who's done the yards. Totally agree, but yeah, man, the American team—you've got 
yeah, five or six, and, and same with the the Great Britain team, and a, a lot of them could potentially podium as well. You've got one or two that are sort of stand out, but um, Here's a really difficult. So, like, if we look at like the fifteen hundred meters at the Olympics, mm-hmm. what they often talk about is how the Olympic race is always completely different to any other race that happens for the four years in yep. between. Same with the marathon. Yep, yep, yep because it's it's just a one off race, and so often you, the the favorite doesn't really win it because it's kind of a different game, if you get mm-hmm. what I mean. Is it the same with triathlon, and if so, how? Um, no, I, well, well, there's two things there. Uh, on the male side of things, uh, without um, take Sydney out of the equation, most of the times you go, yep, that, you know, we, we think about Rio, it was Brownlees and Gomez from memory, London was the Brownlees and Gomez, I think, and then Beijing, Fredino was a, was a bit of a surprise package, but uh, then you had Bevan. Bevan and Whitfield, I think, got the other medals. Um, and then prior to that, you had Athens and the and Hamish and Carter and Bevan Doherty got the medals there. Not massively surprising. Bevan was a world champion uh, and Hamish was, was, a, was a legend. A legend. Yep. Sven Reader, who got third, was a bit of a surprise. And then two. He's got away, didn't he? Yeah, he, well, yeah, yeah, he and he's he's done away. well since. Yep. Uh, Two thousand was a bit of a lottery. That one was a bit different. Uh, but then you could say Whitfield went on to be a legend. Oh yeah, 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 true. You Absolutely. Know? You know, so like Whitfield was a lottery. Maybe it was a surprise at the time, mm. but then his pedigree proved after the fact, didn't it? Whereas on the female side of things, you've got a lot of cases where athletes just came out of the woodwork and and had the race of their their lives. Um, so. There's a few other circumstances. Uh, drugs, uh, drugs for, for, for Maybe, a couple allegedly. of them. So uh, Sydney, you know, that was a, a real surprise. Um, uh, but you know, we've had stories out of that afterwards. Uh, and then in Athens, you had this Kate Allen who never did anything else in the rest of her career. So I think um, on the female side, we have seen more surprises than, than the males. Going into next year, uh, I don't think there'll be any major surprises but so so the way they race the race is pretty typical there's not because it's a lesser field yeah and it's maybe slightly different because it's a slightly smaller field and you know you only got say three spanish in there uh and the men's side and then on the female side you've only got three americans as opposed to maybe five or six and, and likewise with mm. so it's slightly different uh, how many olympics have it come down to just being a running race uh or most of the most of them bar Athens, I think. I don't think we've had uh, for the for the guy for the Brownlee's females. Away. Brownlee, Brown, they, they, they got a pack. They got a pack. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, but London was a. I yeah, London got away. They got about five or six of them got away, didn't they? Oh, I can't remember now. Yeah. Be, be, the females has been quite varied, um, but this one, yeah, it's the male side of things. I think both of them potentially have got a breakaway. Uh, <clears throat> potential in there in terms of five or six getting away but it could quite easily on a flat course come down to a to a, uh, a group run and uh, that'll be that'll be exciting be a, a bit of an hour of boredom on the bike but um the run could should be awesome well make sure you check out this week guys if you if you aren't really into itu and you've kind of just spent all your time doing the ironman world which is obviously most of our audience um check it out because it's exciting times and it is a good of a taster because next year at the olympics will be pretty awesome to watch the triathlon go to triathonlive.tv and get your subscription there and then the, the store what's the cost it's not it's not a like lot 100 bucks a year or something no 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 it's like 30 euros or something like that oh really it's, it's really For not a year yeah it's and the lusanne race that's coming up uh that'll be awesome race and you can go back and watch all old races all the old races like not just this year like all the old stuff and they're starting to add more and more content on there as well okay john made a few 70.3 results happen over the weekend and how does that one? Oh, this is in in poland and uh how do you say that gina 
Jania. Jania. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's right on the northern coast of Poland. Uh, so good to see Jan Fredino back in action and uh, crushing it. So he's obviously in good shape, running a 111 off the bike, beating out Maurice Clavel, who's a really good 70.3 athlete, and Amelia Rose Watkinson. She's listed as residing in Australia here, but she's a Kiwi. She had a fantastic race with a 406, beating out Lisa, Lisa Hulfhalia and Susie Cheatham. Uh, this course, they did have the amazingly fast time there last year from Daniela Reef, who yeah, was insanely fast, so well under four hours from memory. In the Philippines, we had uh, Tim Reed, uh, Mike Phillips, and Tim Van Burkle. Trends only put off fifth. Yeah, but Tim Reed just lit a match on the bike and just had like a six minute lead coming off the bike. Wow, and, look at that. And Mike Phillips uh, ran his way uh, up to within sort of 45 seconds of the finish with Tim Reed. Sounded like he was cramping and what have you. So good. Because Tim Reed's a good runner. Oh, exceptional. He won the World 70.3 Champs. Yeah. So, but it sounded like he was in a, in a world of hurt Took on the a run. Risk, but it worked. But really, really hot race. So good uh, good signs there for Mike Phillips for his Kona prep and probably Tim Reid for 70.3 Worlds. And Caroline Steffen uh, crushed the females race by 12 minutes. And, uh, yep, that was good. Then we also had, now, good old, uh, the vascular Viking yep. sent through, he did the Cyberman. He said, I want to give you a big shout out to a very unknown race. The Cyberman 515 Ultra triathlon in Abakan, Siberia in Russia, uh, close to the border of Mongolia. It's a three-day Ultraman format and by uh, format and by application or invitation only, so participation is only 10 to 15 people per year. The landscape here is kind of endless open areas with pristine nature. Swim took uh, place in a lake of around 2.5k diameters. Uh, it was a 4k loop course for the 10k swim. The bike, 421ks over two days. Goes over open roads, rolling hills, 2,500 metres of elevation, partly very rough surface but through beautiful scenery. All participants need their own support team following them with big stickers on the back of their cars and I must say the drivers here gave us loads of space when passing us so no issue at all. The run is an 84km semi-technical trail run through private forests, 12 loops of a 7k loop, 12 laps of a 7k loop with a restaurant, showers and kitchen at the end of each loop where you could refuel. You need at least one Russian speaking person in your team but nice. it's an amazing experience. The cherry on top of the cake was that I managed to take home the overall victory of 24 hours and 22 minutes. I swam 331, I biked 420 on the first day and then uh, 752 on the second day plus an 838 marathon or run that managed to break the course record by 14 minutes, so the pinnacle of my triathlon career. In short, amazing three days, fabulous community, and the spirit was there, what was triathlon should be all about. All participants finished, and everyone was a winner in this race. And he's actually sent through the link to the website, but he also sent through his race report, so I'll put a link to that and the website on our I Am Talk. And I asked the Vascular Viking to send this through, because I saw last week uh, that he was racing, and we gave it a little mention there, and good to see him crushing it. So it's uh, Volk Avoid the vascular Viking. I did look at his pictures as well, and uh, yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, old school, the, the, man. Uh, yeah, and w w it sort of looks like Poland when I used to go over there. Just <clears throat> big open um, spaces when you're out on the bike, nice rolling terrain, so it looked awesome. Oh, good man. Well I done. do like the idea a lot more on the run of the 12 times yeah, 7k good, loop. The, the thought of in Kona running down the Queen K is pure misery. I just that is horrible. I know mentally um, it's a massive challenge. I get that. 
but I would I think I would enjoy a looped run uh, to, to a point. Because mm. remember Decker Man that did that two k loop. Yes. No, how far they run four hundred twenty k's. Did you see there was a feat in Kiwi Girl on the yeah, news the other night? They had a um, oh, was it a Sri Chimoy uh, event? I think it was in New York, and they yeah. were running around this park. It was literally, like, it was literally two, two or three k, wasn't it? Maybe four yeah. k. Yeah. Shit, did she do four hundred twenty k? I don't know if that, that rings Something a bell. Like that. Yeah. It was either four twenty k or four twenty miles. And it was no, three hundred thirty miles. I think it was. No yeah. disrespect, because that's just a mental challenge. I could walk faster than what she was going. No, no, she did four k an hour. Four k. I worked it out. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So you basically. That's a mitten. I'm impressed that you can keep people can keep going that way, but. That just sounds horrible. Yeah. Anyway, good on her. Good on uh, the vascular Viking. Okay, coming up this weekend, John. It's it's pre Kona qualifying time, so we've got a few races coming up. Mount Tremblant. It is going to be exciting this weekend at Mont Tremblant. I'm very uh, interested to see how this race goes. We've got a male and a female pro race, and Lionel Sanders is trying to clip uh, his ticket for Kona. I'm f- how many slots? Will there be one slot? Uh, there you go. And. If he has just an average race, he should get it because Cody Beals is there, uh, who did beat him last year. Was it at this race or another race? Uh, but anyway, Lionel Sanders is on the comeback after having a stress fracture in his hip. That was a crash-related stress fracture, not an overuse one. Uh, so I, th- I, I think he's going to kill it. And oh, I reckon, surely, I reckon he might go really well in Kona. I think it's this is going one or two, one of two ways. It's going to go really well or really bad. I don't think it's going to go average uh, because yes, Cody Beals has already got a slot, so that takes him out of the equation. Well, what's interesting about Sanders? Last year we were talking about Sanders, and it was like the boys just pushing the envelope too far. And and on race day, maybe that was the reason why he didn't really perform. Um, in some ways, sometimes with people like that, an injury can be a blessing oh, in disguise. Absolutely, long term and short term. Yeah, because you know the, the person who just thinks who axes every day, sometimes a they just don't do the taper very well. B they just they don't know how to manage themselves very well, do mm-hmm. they? And sometimes an injury can actually be a, a blessing in disguise because it gives them it kind of forces a bit of a a, a wiser path forward, doesn't it? Mm. And we, we we want them in Kona as well, don't we? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So. Some athletes, and, and I, I need to kind of race myself into shape often, and, and I'd love to be able to race more often. And you see that with a lot of pros, they build as they start racing and get stuck in. I kind of think with Lionel Sanders, I don't know if he needs to do that. He's just such a nutcase tough, nut, <laughs> tough <laughs> bastard he's tough, that I don't man. think he probably needs it. So I, I'm picking he's probably in pretty good shape going into this. And as I said, he only needs an average race to, to qualify. Uh, even if he doesn't win, Cody Beal's slot will roll down. And there's no other real demon athletes no disrespect to the others uh, that should cause me any trouble if no he's there's ha- no one else here as you think top five in Kona if he's having an average race he should still qualify if he has a great race he'll be a piss in if he has a poor race then it might get a bit marginal but uh, yeah really interested to see how he well, goes it'll also be interesting as a performance what are we now we're mid-August you've got two months yep you know how far how, you know, like how hard would you go? Well, he's done this before and he's gone hard, and so I don't think that'll have too much of an impact on his Kona race based off what we've seen previously. You know, yes, he's had a couple of shit races in Kona, but he's also had that yep. very, very good race when he was just doing his usual racing all the bloody time. So the male's race is going to be brilliant. Uh, the female's race is equally going to have uh, a fair amount of fascination because uh, I didn't realise until it got pointed out to me yesterday that Sarah True is racing. So she oh, did. So she is going to go for it. She did Cairns, bombed out there, did Frankfurt. And if you remember was that, winning? she was winning and collapsed. Um, like two k to go? No, like seven hundred meters to go <laughs> when she was leading comfortably by, I don't know, I think it was like ten minutes or twelve minutes. So 
head games uh, is going to be massive for her. Um, but well, she, the good news is, in the top five, two of them are already qualified. Yes, and Angela Neath has got an asterisk next to her name because she enters every single Ironman of the season, oh, okay. just about. So she's she's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. But you're just not um, sure if she'll be there. But I'm not sure if she'll be there. So again, if Sarah True has an average race, she should probably she'll quali- should qualify. May not win, but uh, should should qualify. But gee, she's going to have some mental demons to to work her way through. So. Well, but in saying that, like, okay, even if Angela Neath comes up, if we're looking at Dawson's predictions here, 20 minutes faster Sarah True is looking at. Mm. You know, so she, as you say, she can have a pretty average day, not take too much of a risk. And, and, and the thing for her, though, you know, she doesn't say have the same pedigree as Sanders, who's got the track record of saying, I can do an Ironman eight weeks out and still be competitive yeah. in Kona, whereas her, she doesn't know if she can. So I, I would imagine she's a pretty smart cookie. Uh, I think she, if she's in the position, she'll be racing for place, not necessarily for you know the maximum performance. So if she can shut it down on the run and run a 3.15 just to and finish. She, even if Carrie's in front of her, she's yeah. like, you know what, I've got my slot. But wait and see, she may not do that. Some athletes don't, don't play the game that way. Here's an interesting question, John, and I'm not sure if we can really answer it, but... Um, what is the best example in our sport of a disaster lead up with the greatest performance? Yeah, and I need some prior warning on that. <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't think of anything else just straight away, but yeah. I guarantee there'll be a few. I mean, Chrissy Wellington is one example. Oh, that, she yeah, had that, a that's probably brilliant one of them. performance yep. when, when she was smoked. Because she had a broken, was it broken? Oh, she had crash, she had grazes all over her. She didn't have a perfect race, but she still won. Oh, that was great, um, man. That was that was. Unbelievable! Mm. Oh, that well, wasn't the race. Daniel like, getting stung. Mm. But I'm thinking more. You kind of, it's written. Oh well, come on. It's um last year. It's got um Matt Russell. Matt Russell didn't win, but amazing performance. But, yeah, he couldn't. You know, if he hadn't have done the what had happened to him, mm. you would have. You would have. He would have been over the moon with that performance anyway. Mm. Yeah, Matt Russell last year coming back was was pretty awesome. That so, was phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to Montreal this weekend. It's going to be exciting times. You know what's interesting about Matt Russell as well? Because before last year, you would have picked him as a maybe get into top 10, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. But since Kona as well, he's delivered some pretty good performances this year, yes. hasn't he? Yep. You know? But it's, I'd still say he's not getting any better than fifth. would be just the dream race for him. Mm. He's He'll run people down all day, and he's a good, strong biker, but... I'd never pick him in my top five. Okay, we've also got Ironman Sweden coming up this weekend, and it's a male pro-only race. Now, Joe Skipper's uh, registered down to race. He's already qualified. Don't know if he'll be racing. Uh, if you follow Strava or if you follow Joe on Facebook, he did a the, the UK 12-hour time trial. We'll talk about that later in the show. later on and crash, cracked it. Uh, Clement Alonso McKerna there, along with Boris Stein. Haven't seen... Don't recall his name popping up for a while, but he's a really good, strong athlete. So male only there. Uh, we've got how many pros listed to race? Jeez, quite a few. Over 50 pros uh, entered there. And then we have our female pro only race over in Copenhagen. And there we have uh, Annie Haug, uh, who I, she needs to validate. She's an automatic qualifier from Kona last year because she finished third was it I think it was so she, I think she needs to finish this I don't pretty sure she hasn't actually finished a race so how, again how hard she goes will be interesting but she will need to finish uh, then you've got Angela and Ethan also Michelle Vesterby so she hasn't there. raced at all this year I, I'm pretty sure she's been injured I, I, okay. I don't follow people on Twitter or Facebook yeah. and all that stuff, yeah. but I'm pretty sure she's been injured. Must be, surely, because you wouldn't leave it this late, would you? Mm. Okay, with this year, we've also got the 36th edition of the Ember Man. Awesome event, big prize money, more than most Ironman races. Epic ride. Tell me about it, John. Oh, so Ember is awesome. If you want to go and do a race uh, that's kind of 
you know, the, the ultras like Norseman, you've got that crazy ass run at the end and it's kind of a bit of a run hike sort of thing. Whereas Embra Man, you get to do the classic amazing bike ride going over the Col de Zouard and a bunch of other rides. The, the bike actually there is 185 kilometres long. Uh, it will be amazing. Beautiful swim and then the run is, uh, I've only done parts of the run really nice. Entry fee, if you enter early for this race, only 340 euros. So significantly um, cheaper than, than a lot of races. Uh, prize money, as Bevan said, I, really good prize money. That My one gripe here, and it's a pretty legitimate gripe, is it's not equal prize money. So they pay 25,000. Oh, that's, that's old school, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, really. And it's, it's French <laughs> in and a it's bad old way. school in a bad way. 25,000 euros for the first male, only 19,000 for the first female, and only pays five deep for females and seven deep on the male side of things. So that's about... That's shit, that's really crap, um, but it's about the only crap thing about this race. Last year uh, we saw um, Diego Van Louis take this out uh, to give you an idea of how long the race takes. He did 9 hours 45, uh, so swim, the swim's a swim, he swam 59 minutes, which is not, not amazing, but the bike for the top pros, they're just dipping under the 6 hour mark, and then the run is, is fairly sort of standard business. He ran a 2.44 last year, that's bloody impressive. And good old Carrie Lester, who is uh, racing I think in Copenhagen this weekend so she's not defending her title she swam 51 rode a 638 and ran a 317 for a 1051 definitely a race I'm going to do one day Okay, John, uh, just some other little races happening around the world. What's up? We've got the Thor X-Try in Norway, the Ocean Lava in Poland, the My Titanium in Grand Rapids, uh, USA, and the Peasant Man in the States, the Polska Man in Poland. So big weekend of racing. Okay, John, so we, uh, John needed some ideas. <laughs> so he did this week's discussion. Oh, and I was canvassing opinions. <laughs> canvassing opinions. So this week's discussion was, uh, would you want to do an epic camp? Why, why not, or where, or where would you want to, would you want to, I don't know, would you want to do one? Why and why not, and where would be your number one destination? Good old Jordan Blanco came through, she said yes, how about the length of Italy, that'd be pretty cool. Destination riding is my favourite, and adventure, which includes swim and run, would be amazing. On a side note, I'm an example of a non elite athlete that has survived and enjoyed Epic Camp in the past so you don't have to be a niner athlete to do them I'm far from that so Jordan did the length of New Zealand race oh, uh, actually, yep. not race uh, camp and I, Jordan you did actually get me thinking and I, I measured up the length of Italy and? it is doable but it's pretty tricky it would be it would be It'd be a long camp. It'd probably be 12, 12 to fifteen days of riding, and that would be point to point every day. Yeah, uh, which makes it a hard camp, doesn't it? Which makes it a tough camp. So you you have aroused my interest there, and it is something that I may consider. It'd be pretty amazing. Mm. Um, David K. Nelson, Kona is my number one, hoping to do it in 2020. A close second would be Epic Camp Light that hits some major climbs in the Giro, which is in Italy, and the Tour de France, which leaves us fresh enough for some great restaurants, wine, and maybe even catching a peak of a mountain tour stage. Probably too ambitious, but I can dream. Not too ambitious, David. I'll go into some plans in a moment. Andy Ashton has got Morocco. Uh, beautiful riding, some good climbs, and the island is normally full of riders, runners, so lots of fun all around. That's what, That was Mallorca. Uh, Joanne oh, Pizzle, who's uh, Mike the Pizzle Swizzle's, uh, oh, look Swizzle at this. Pizzle's wife, you need a partner package too. I'd be happy to come along and do some relaxing cycling, play golf, and drink some good beer while Mike is slogging it away. Maybe this, I can be the I can do that side of it. Mm. I take I take the partners. Yep. for a one ninety minute bike ride. Yep, and I'll take them down to the to the pub. And jo- I'll entertain them. Joanne, that has been noted. My, my one concern with, with having partners around is the dynamic would be significantly different 
because you know when you finish a day and you're having dinner and stuff like that you're sort of chatting around your day and and there's a bit of banter John, and stuff going John, on John that's where the inter- inter- entertainer coordinator makes it work for everyone <laughs> right because you make things happen where people have to interact with each other yeah yeah, yeah it's all about how you set up the so environment we, we certainly have partners at, at Rote and, and like in Kona for example uh, the camp over there often partners come late in the camp and that works really really well but when, if you're doing a full Monty Epic camp I'm not sure it would fit in really, really well. It may, and it, and it has, it, it's been noted, Jane. So it's a good work. Good old Campbell, I'm going to say Muffet. Um, uh, back in 2006-7, a friend at Epic Camp here in Australia, and the effort on the stamp cost him a Kona slot later in the year. So in his opinion, he said maybe it was a bit too hard. Absolutely, um, and it was actually 2000, and it was the start of 2000. That was a hard camp, wasn't it? Start of 2005 because I did that camp, so I certainly know what you, what you're talking about. Uh, and look, Epic Camp is not a surefire way that if you use it as a preparation for a race, you know it's not a surefire way to do it. Equally, on that camp, we and you'll hear from him next week, a guy Seth. He was he just missed out on the yellow jersey on that camp. He went on and then he did Ironman Australia, exactly the same as your friend, and he had an amazing race. Yeah. So I'm not trying to get defensive or anything on it. If you go really, really deep on the camp, um, that can have some consequences um, for races that are fairly, you know, fairly close to it. And so I say, people that do that, you've got to be a little bit cautious about how you're going to pay it out. But in terms of the enjoyment factor and what you actually learn on the camp, oh, that's yeah. what lasts a lot longer. The fitness side of things can go can go sort of. Not one of two ways, but it can go a few different ways. But normally, athletes come out and race pretty well, but not always. And I'm, yep. I'm not going to bullshit people about well, that. Well, you can't guarantee anything to a result no. of an athlete, can you? No. Uh, Neil Hastings, I'd be up for it. Uh, when I go abroad on holiday, though, I tend to just want to get out and get drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any fitness is definitely on the, off the menu, although I'm up for it. Thomas, uh, no, Robert, uh, is Rob's name the, the Mighty? The Mighty Flint? I think it is. Yep. Definitely not. Epic Camp Light in May in 2020, three years in a row, too good to miss. So Rob is not up for the full Epic Monty, but he likes the Epic Light ones. Um, we've got a Brett Chain, probably up to another calibre, but I'm considering Epic Light and would like to do a camp in Europe. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, well, there's a good one. Zania Morrison, uh, Italy or Spain, but Colorado is a third choice. Have you ever thought about Colorado? I've thought about it. Don't like uh, Americans. Don't get offended. Health and safety. I don't want to run camps in America. I know I run suit. camps in Hawaii, but it's, no, it's just that. It's the you go to Europe. It's amazing. The drivers are wicked. Everything just kind of works. Yep. And uh, uh, yeah, just it's a little bit too hard. What about South America? Good old. Uh, Kefran Izzard says yeah. South, South America. And then another one, Ryan Bray says, for sure, Thailand, Vietnam, or somewhere close to Australia, ideally focused on Ironman Australia. Uh, last one, Australia again? Uh, could, could consider it. I'll probably do New Zealand before I do Australia. Yep. Greg Jones, epic light ending with Alp long course triathlon 2021 perfection. Greg, wonder how you knew about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some really good suggestions there. And just a bit of feedback for some people thinking epic camp's too hard. It is bloody hard. Uh, but you hear, as you hear from the interviews, the athletes that are coming on it now, they're good, good, solid athletes, um, but they're not sort of... It the, is different the, to where it started, wasn't yeah. it? Because Epicamp was designed, basically, Gordo and Scott, <coughs> at that time you weren't even a part of it, were mm. you? It was basically, hey, let's get a elite bump two guys together and mm-hmm. just destroy ourselves. Yep. And then it kind of opened up to more people coming along, and it's more transitioned to good, solid athletes, Yep. kind of anywhere from 12 hours down. Yep. 
but yeah. but but I'm even starting to relax that a little bit. It's more about the bike. That's where the challenge yeah. comes in. If you're really crap on the bike, um, that creates some challenges. But if you're but an ex biker but an average runner, yeah, you can probably do it at camp. So, so generally, if from now on, it's probably going to be more like I used to have like a five and a half hour sort of bike time that you need to be quicker of. Uh, it's probably more going to be about in the six hour mark. So to give people a bit of an update on my current thinking, and uh, this may get you thinking as well, I'm looking at possibly doing an Alpe d'Huez uh, triathlon camp. So that'll be an epic camp light in 2020. 21 that is going to be amazing we'll do sort of four or five days riding through the alps uh, and then go over and do the alp to s triathlon so that's uh, either 2021 probably and then def- definitely looking at doing a full epic camp light at some stage as well uh, epic camp uh, full monty uh, italy is france is amazing but italy is uh, next level in terms of just the, the beauty and stuff so that's what's coming up what about an epic camp in the Sahara desert <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some challenging environments you could go to, but uh, I prefer the... In the outback. Yeah. We, Just go up the straight roads in Australia. Well, we did a bit of outback sort of stuff in Australia. Not not proper outback, but there was some, was mi- the, there was some misery what, out there. That was the hardest camp, wasn't it? Uh, what do you I, reckon I the hardest didn't. one was? Uh, they're all as hard as you make them. I didn't go that yeah, hard, hard on that yeah. camp. And so, you know, if you just doing the distance, the camps are still bloody challenging to do the minimums. But if you go hard, it's, you know, it's, it's as hard as you make it. Yeah, it is true. Okay, this week's discussion, this comes through. Who sent this email, John? Who sent through this email? Potential idea. Okay, well, basically, oh, we've got think? an email. So here's a potential idea for discussion. Why do the relays have to be women, men, women, men? I think it would make it more exciting if the team submitted their start order secretly, a bit like a football team submitting their 11 ahead of the kickoff. There could be a time cutoff for doing this, e.g. two hours before the race starts, so the media could discuss the potential matchups, but no changes allowed. You could be allowed to sub a fifth person in if a teammate gets injured in the warm-up. Can't think of a good reason why women shouldn't race alongside men and this would make the race ebb and flow more and be more tactical maybe just need the course uh, maybe just need a course long enough to cater for the probably higher spreading out it was uh, Chris uh, Jetstream Doherty that sent that through nice. uh, and so that sort of got me thinking oh yeah that's I, I kind of get where you're coming from I, I believe with the current format so the mixed relay at the Olympics and in, in the ITU circuit goes female, male, female, male, and it's in that set order. And you do only have to submit your team lists, I believe, a few hours before the race. So that that criteria is already in there. But what Chris is saying is why not just have it any sort of order so you could put your two guys first and then your two females or your two females and then your two guys. Just, just, I know this is a discussion, but why don't you do it? Is it purely just the the problem in the swim? The aggression? Uh, I don't know. I I think it probably... I think what this having any sort of format would make it more captivating in terms of the yeah, fairly the massive changes in, yeah. in who's in the lead. I think they probably do it in this format because then it's a bit more condensed and you can go, right, you know, the lead pack's coming out of the swim. It probably stays together and to be able to cover it's probably a bit better. I would imagine that's why they do it, but I'm not quite sure. So this kind of stemmed me thinking, what if any changes would you make to the ITU series to make it more awesome? I think, Individual races, relay, and the series overall. Okay. 
Uh, so that's this week's discussion. We'll dig deep into the answers next week. John, well, let's talk about our sponsor, Extreme Endurance. Tell me all about it. So we've, 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 Epic Camp uh, France, we're going to keep carrying on on that theme. Uh, for, for We've got some interviews coming up later in the show. But one of the products that I was using a lot in France and a lot of the other athletes were grabbing it as well is the Fuel 5. Um, the reason for that for me is it's just a slightly different flavour. Uh, obviously, I like the the energy source that, that I get from it but when I crank into the the Fuel 5 it just doesn't taste like regular sports drink you know you, you know there's a million different brands you can get out there whether it be Gatorade whether it be um, Powerade whatever it is and they all you know goo etc they all kind of taste that sort of sugary same sort of same same flavour yep. whereas I find with the Fuel 5 it's just doesn't taste as sugary to me and that's why I kind of like it because you consume huge amounts of uh, fuel and food on, on Epic Camp and uh, I kind of don't want to have too much sugar. So um, yeah, that's why I like the Fuel 5. So if you're if you're sort of a bit sick of what you've currently been taking or you're looking for a slightly different uh, source of energy, they have source uh, five forms of fuel, four, four carbohydrate four carbohydrate fuel sources and lactate. They've got organic sweet potato in there along with their proprietary blend. So check it out, Fuel 5. And if you want some caffeine in there as well, you've got Fuel 5 Plus. Um, and it is Informed Sport and Informed Choice certified, which is always good to know because we do see athletes testing positive and sometimes it is because their products have been tainted. So that's one of the things I really like about Extreme Endurance, both their regular product and as well as their Fuel 5 it's been tested and uh, certified that it is good to go. Okay, good times. Check it out, xendurance.com. And uh, yeah, make sure you also join up to their little discount product line or, or kind of club uh, so you can get a cheaper price all the time on their products. John, we've got an interview coming up. Good Dr. Jeff Mears, he was associated with good old, um, was it Brucey last, from Brucey? last week? Um, and he's got, he's got some really good points here. So make sure you listen, especially uh, for endurance athletes. So here it is right now. Okay, guys. So last week we heard from heard from Brucey, who had uh, his fairly serious incident uh, after his club champs uh, in Australia, and he's managed to bounce back and get back into things, which is fantastic. And today we're going to try to see if we can establish some some guidelines, maybe for you guys, if you're at all concerned after hearing that, as well as the other incidents we hear in in triathlons. So we've got Dr. Jeff Myers, who's uh, in the same club as Brucey. He's a general medical practitioner for over thirty years. Um, he's done a lot of locum work in Aboriginal areas. He now works in uh, Randwick and sees lots of middle-aged athletes as well as um, general public. But he's got a, a, a general interest in heart health, um, especially because we're just seeing you know more and more of these incidents with athletes in their 40s and 50s and beyond. So, welcome along to the show, Jeff. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. So if, if we use um, Brucey in his example, you know, he's a fit guy, um, he has a heart attack in a race, probably would have been dead if it hadn't happened around uh, an area where there was some, you know, professional help on, on offer. Um, so maybe explain what actually happened to him and compare that to many of the, the incidents we see in triathlon, which sort of typically happen in the swim. That's right. Um, the, in a marathon, um, uh, the heart attacks generally happen in the last kilometre. Um, when people are, you know, really pushing themselves to the end and uh, they're very excited. Whereas in a triathlon, um, most heart attacks uh, start in the swim where people are excited. Um, they um, do the sprint to get to the front uh, uh, off the, the beach. They dive in, cold water, um, adrenaline, lots of adrenaline, and um, that's when 
the um, the heart attack usually happens in a in a triathlon. Obviously, it can happen any time. The mechanism of a heart attack. Um, so a heart attack is where part of the heart muscle dies, um, becomes ischemic, and um, uh, it then um, can um, cause a cardiac arrest um, because the ischemic um, or lacking in blood um, heart muscle becomes electrically unstable and it can start a short circuit around the heart and the heart goes into what's called ventricular fibrillation where it contracts but it can't relax because the, the signal, the electrical signal is, is telling it to keep contracting. Um, so um, sitting on top of the, the heart like a crown are the coronary arteries and they supply the blood to the heart muscle. And if you have plaque or atherosclerosis in the walls of your coronary arteries, uh, if one of those plaques ruptures um, and breaks off, it can um, cause a, a blockage of that artery and then naturally ischemia or death of the heart muscle that that artery supplies. So in a triathlon in the swim, um, Brucey actually probably started to have his infarct um, in the swim or soon soon after because he was already getting some symptoms in the swim. Um, but it just happens that uh, he was able to, he's such a fit guy, he was able to keep yeah. going and uh, infarcting right around the, the course for an hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes and um, it was only at the end that he uh, went into um, ventricular fibrillation and luckily he had a... Uh, uh, physician standing right next to him to resuscitate him and a couple of other guys had done the CPR training. So um, uh, in the triathlon, um, the, the plaque can rupture and, and what we need to be able to do is identify people who have unstable plaque before they start so that we can treat it. Um, would, a, a, would, a, would a warm up, you know, a designated warm up area, um, because you know, you kind of said in a marathon it happens towards the end when you're sort of pushing, in a triathlon sense, would potentially having a warm up area where you almost forced athletes to get in the water to actually try to reduce those nerves, do, do you think that would help at all, or is it kind of, uh, I don't know, is that not really going to fix the problem? It's a good idea. I think um, everyone obviously should warm up and a lot of people do get in the water and get water into their wetsuit and, uh, and warm up a little bit before they start. But I think basically, you know, because of the demands of the event, um, if you're going to, if you're destined to have a heart attack in that event, you're probably going to have one anyway. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think obviously it, it's, it's up to the individual to try and keep their stress levels down as low as possible I, I really believe um, I do a little bit of meditation before I start and my heart rate will drop from you know, 100 to, um, to 70 or 80 um, just by calming the mind focusing mm. um, so that, that can help but you know that's sort of a, up to the individual I, I think what I'm more interested in is um, some guidelines for people to actually so we can actually screen out um, the, the ones who are potentially going to have um, sudden death. Um, the other thing to remember is that there are various ways that you can die um, yeah. with your heart um, during a triathlon. One of them is um, due to um, uh, atherosclerosis and um, a, a blockage of one of the arteries, so that's a, a, a myocardial infarct or a, a heart attack. 
but there are other ways. Also, some um, people have an undiagnosed cardiomyopathy where the, the heart muscle itself is abnormal. Um, there's fibrosis in the, in the heart muscle, and um, that's the sort of thing that happened to Emma Carney. And, mm. um, and that, that heart muscle is also electrically unstable, and that also is prone to going into ventricular fibrillation. Um, and um, then there's other, other conditions like Brugada syndrome and um, uh, um, other abnormalities of the ECG where, uh, again, an ECG may well pick this up before it happens, but um, there, there are other conditions that uh, we could also be screening for. Um, so the other classic uh, one is the, the young kid who's, um, you know, 18 years old or 16 years old and they're, they're in an event and they just drop dead, bang, like that. Um, mm. And that's not... Their, their coronary arteries are perfect, but they're, um, they've got problems um, because they, they might have inherited a cardiomyopathy, which they had no awareness of at all until they suddenly dropped dead. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting you mentioned Emma Carney because I, I think I, for some reason I saw a clip with her with a, a young athlete she coaches the other day and I think she had her on a treadmill doing some sort of screening and, and I think she forces her athletes to do screening for, from a young age. So I guess that's, that's really where this topic sort of came up was I think we, there was a death fairly recently at a race and I sort of mentioned fairly loosely I wonder if there's some way we could actually screen athletes to try to really prevent this from happening and, and you've kind of come up with some, some screening guidelines for athletes. So can you maybe sort of run through, um, run through this and, and maybe explain how effective it might be and, and, and maybe what, it's, what it potentially can catch out and what it might um, potentially miss out on? Okay, so we're looking at basically three groups that we're wanting to screen. So starting with the, the young athletes the, um, in their 20s or in their late teens, um, these kids, if they're training really seriously um, and they're doing, you know, um, 10 hours a week or, you know, 5, 10 hours a week of um, serious high-intensity training, it'd be great to screen all of those, those young people out um, to check for um, uh, the cardiomyopathies and the uh, potential heart arrhythmias, irregular rhythms of the heart. And... Um, the probably the best way to do that is a combination of um, uh, an ECG. Now, the ECG, uh, I, I was speaking to Simon Eggleton, who is a triathlete and a cardiologist. He's a member of the um, Balmoral Club. And um, he was pointing out that the, um, the ECGs really ideally should be read by a cardiologist who is aware of athlete's heart. So athlete's heart is a benign condition um, which uh, results from lots of training and uh, it does have an, uh, an unusual looking ECG. I actually have an athlete's heart myself. In fact, my heart is the only athletic part of my whole body. But, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's what I got. So um, I've been extensively investigated. But uh, okay. So basically an ECG that's read by a cardiologist who's aware of the normal variations of, of athletes um, and um, the other thing is that there's a 14-point American Heart Association questionnaire that um, is a screening tool as well, which will help to pick up people who are at risk of um, sudden death. So those two are the first things that I think pretty well every athlete should go through. 
um, anyone who's training seriously, putting their heart under uh, stress by um, going hard, which is a healthy thing, it's a great thing, but um, you know, if you've got a, a problem with your heart, that can be the tipping point, um, which can lead to um, sudden death. Um, second group of athletes, uh, we would have the um, 40 uh, and over, um, and again, training seriously. And um, as you know, there's a large number of these. So, you know, uh, with triathlon, as you know, like uh, lots of people take up um, triathlon and Ironman in their 40s or their 50s. Um, so 40 and over, you know, it is possible to have developed enough plaque for, at, from the age of about 40 to, um, to uh, have a heart attack. Um, and um, just being an athlete doesn't mean that you're immune from that, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, and the, the um, standard um, uh, risk factors are very bad at picking up heart attack. Only half the people who have heart attacks have um, standard risk factors. Most of, uh, you know, the other half are fit, healthy, like Brucey, have no risk factors. Um, and the risk factors are, you know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, mm. central obesity, family history. Um, and um, so um, these uh, athletes over 40, um, it's really worth considering having, as well as the ECG and the 14-point uh, questionnaire, um, and I think probably you might be able to push point people towards um, how they could find that online, or mm. if you just um, Google um, AHA 14-point questionnaire, you should be able to find that questionnaire and fill it up in for yourself. If you get a positive answer to any of it, um, go over and see a cardiologist and get yourself screened. Um, so um, uh, these people over 40, um, if they had a, coron a CT coronary angiogram, uh, that would help to pick up um, people who like Brucey who uh, have um, a um, uh, narrowing in their coronary arteries and potentially um, dangerous, unstable plaque. Uh, then finally, the group over 50. Um, so... Um, Simon Eggleton, who I was speaking to, is uh, a bit wary about um, CT coronary angiograms for everyone, and um, particularly older people. I, I personally, I'm a GP, so I, I speak with less authority, but um, I, I like to do um, CT coronary angiograms, and I encouraged it in my triathlon club or Ingrid club to, for everyone over 50 to get a CT coronary angiogram, maybe guys 50 and women over 55. But basically, um, the older group... Um, the only other issue there is that the older group um, are more likely to have a fair bit of plaque there anyway, and it's a, and the CT coronary angiogram is not quite as good at screening out the ones that have got serious plaque versus ones which have just got a, a bit of plaque. Um, uh, so you can get false positives, um, and we don't want too many people having invasive angiograms. Um, but uh, that would be the additional test which is worth um, doing. So... Um, a CT coronary angiogram done by a good operator has very minimal radiation exposure. Uh, it involves an injection um, of contrast and then just going into a CT scanner and it can show the hard plaque, which is the matured plaque in the walls of the coronary artery and also the more unstable soft plaque, which is more recently laid down. It's just fibro, fibro fatty uh, plaque with uh, 
cholesterol mixed into it. And if that breaks off, that's the one that usually causes a heart attack. So what's what sort of, uh, I know you can only speak in a, an Australian sort of setting, um, but what's the cost for, for getting this done? In um, Australia, in Sydney, um, it's about $500 um, out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Australia, the government doesn't reimburse that. So, you know, it's 500 bucks. I, I put my hand up and got mine done. And um, uh, I was, um, you know, I considered that $500 very well spent. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, if Brucey had had one, which he hadn't, um, he may well have um, been able to get treatment for what he had um, before he had the heart attack. So he might have got a stent um, before the heart attack and he would be back training without having lost a little bit of his heart muscle to um, to ischemia. Now, that, that's the high level. What's like an ECG cost? Um, an ECG um, in Australia gets bulk billed basically. You know, if you go to a, a pathology company, it gets bulk billed. But if you got it done through a a, um, a cardiologist who knew their um, their uh, athletes' hearts, um, it might cost a hundred dollars out of pocket. Yeah. It's not much at all, no, and the question is free. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that comes out of that is I think it's very important for triathlon clubs and uh, particularly probably triathlon clubs to make find out um, you know who's a good cardiologist that um, that they can use for their for their members um, maybe arrange a bit of a deal I arranged a bit of a deal with um, with the CT coronary angiogram um, uh, radiologist um, to get a little bit cheaper for our club um, and um, so if you you know it's important to have a, a good cardiologist who knows athletes' hearts and um, knows how to screen athletes, so that you can send them along and be confident that they will um, give you a good result. And so in, in Brucey's case, you said it, he, it may have been picked up from screening and he could have got a, a stent in there. Um, is it, it, I don't know gut feeling is, is that. Do you think they'd be quite common across a lot of the deaths that we seen see that a lot of them could be um, avoided by the screening? I I think you know in medicine nothing is one hundred percent, but I think probably you might you might um, save half of them um, mm. that that uh, you know like you know once you've got a stent in if if and you probably go on statins as well to stabilise the plaque that's there. You re- reduce your risk by fifty to you know seventy percent. Mm. Um, so yes, I think you know you would reduce deaths. So you know you're saving lives. That's that's an awesome thing. Mm. Um, I don't think it'd be a hundred percent thing, but you would definitely be saving lives. Mm. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you know a lot of athletes think they're healthy and spend a lot of time on their health. And we don't spend much time on the internal thing. And, and like, I know for myself, every two years I get the healthy man check. And it's like, this is just an investment in your health, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, I think it's easy to just assume because you're an athlete that you're going to have a, a beautifully, perfectly running heart. Well, yeah. your heart is very efficient, but the plumbing might not be 100%. In fact, athletes tend to have higher calcium scores on their CT coronary angiograms than, than non-athletes. Um which doesn't necessarily um, relate to a higher risk of a heart attack um, because a lot of that um, is um, stable plaque. Um, but um, the, the slightly higher, it's thought that people, endurance athletes, have slightly higher calcium scores because of the um, stresses that they put their, their, um, the, the walls of their, of their coronary arteries under because their heart's getting up 
towards um, into the red zone, you know, much more regularly. So that's not a bad thing at all. Don't don't let me put people off uh, exercising, but no. um, um, don't assume just because you're an athlete that you have uh, an immaculate heart. Yeah. Um, and in some in case, case like Brucey's, um, and we would have talked to him last week. You know, he had his, his incident, and then uh, he seems to be back racing. As you, you mentioned, you know, there's some damage to his heart, so he may not get back to the same quite the same levels that he was at. Um, but what is the the diagnosis if you happen to have a heart attack? Uh, it, can you bounce back with with treatment, and, and what's sort of the, the the pathway to recovery? Again, I chatted with um, Simon Eggleton about this, and um, uh, he tends to be a little bit more conservative than um, some people. And his recommendation is, if you have a heart attack, have a year off. Um, you know, going really hard, putting yourself into the red zone um, to allow and and go on treatment. You know, so you know that would be statins, probably aspirin, uh, and um, uh, and a stent if you need it. Um, or a bypass if you need it, you know, mm. any of those things. Um, but, you know, have have the best part of 12 months off to let everything stabilise. Um, and, um, uh, you know, in that time, obviously, you could just get on the trainer and, and just uh, have gentle, regular exercise just for your health. But um, you'd, you'd want to um, ease off for 12 months and then get back into it. But once you get back into it, um, you're absolutely fine. Mm. Awesome. Go for it. Yeah. Now, just once you get back into it, you, you'd want to build pretty slowly, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course you'd want to yeah. build slowly, but yeah. um, but uh, your heart is probably going to handle it um, uh, anyway. It's just that's just a, a training issue. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's been awesome. Um, really enjoyed finding out a bit, bit, bit more about this. So, um, any, anything else you want to get across? Um, we, we'll have a link up on the website for anybody who wants to do that. Uh, American Heart Association fourteen point um, sort of questionnaire. Questionnaire. Um, mm. Anything else you want to get out there? Obviously, you guys have got a really strong club system over there. But um, yeah, anything else uh, or any other information? Well, um, I don't know if um, uh, Brucey mentioned last week about the. Um, the defibrillator so that was um, a brilliant thing that he brought forward out of his experiences to um, ensure that um, he, he went to triathlon in New South Wales and he ensured that there's a defibrillator at the end of the bike and there's a defibrillator at the um, transition mm. so um, you, you, the closer you are to a defibrillator and the more people that have trained in CPR um, the better chance that person who has the um, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest has of surviving because generally the survival rates for out-of-hospital cardiac arrests are pretty woeful. Um, and so if you uh, do your CPR training, I just uh, got my wife and my eight-year-old watched and had a go to. <laughs> we did some CPR training together. Um, so I think that's the other message, you know, CPR training for as many people as possible. So, you know, if you're in the club tent and um, someone arrests, you know, you've done the training, uh, you can save their life. So that that would be the other message for me is um, try and have those facilities available in case someone does drop. Mm. Awesome. Well, we're in the middle of winter in New Zealand and Australia. Um, what's, on the, what's on the radar for you next summer? 
Um, I'm I'm sort of at the moment. Uh, I love the the sprints and the and just the Olympic distance ones. I, I did the the Husky half a couple of years ago, and uh, that was a great experience and gives me a great deal of respect for people that do Ironman. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'll be starting with a sprint at Cornell and um, and uh, the Three Points Challenge, which is a great event in uh, North Curl Curl, and just I uh, just I just love the whole thing. I, I'm I'm not very competitive, but I just push myself against my, my own times and and i just love the atmosphere out there people encouraging each other and uh so positive awesome thanks so much for your time jeff it was absolutely brilliant yeah great insight mate. Uh, thank you lovely to talk to you thanks very much john your thoughts well the first thing i point i want to make out there is uh we also did a couple of other interviews on heart related issues mm. so if you're new to the show or you want to go back and listen to those again Oh, you're it's right. me. It's hot. Um, uh, we have the links on the website, Bevan. Those links there. Yeah, I'll put them yep. on the website. Yep. So we had uh, the the author of the Haywire Heart, which was a book around you know a whole plethora of different uh, heart related issues. And we also did an interview, and I, I can't remember exactly what we discussed with uh, Dr. Larry Creswell, who was also talking oh, about yeah. uh, heart related issues. Yep. And I do remember on that show as well. That was the one we had Barbara Nelson on there and uh, talking about menopause. I think it was. Oh, okay, good stuff. So, blokes, it's a good one for you to go and listen to. Okay. Understand your partners better. Uh, so yeah, uh, in terms of my thoughts, it certainly made me uh, have you, have consider. You, you, you cheat? No, I have not. And from a race perspective, you know, um, one of the things I, I always, I've, I've, I think I've got the app on my phone, or I'd used to, yeah, is, is fi- finding where finding where the um, defibrillators are. Um, normally, when I have the medics there, they'll, they'll have one, so the, there is a defibrillator on site. But I think it's a really good app. I I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to get it elsewhere in the world, but there's an app where you can find out where defibrillators are. Uh, so yeah, it's food for thought for sure, and it's if anything, it just gives you that reassurance that you know I'm I'm okay, and it gives your partner a bit of reassurance as well, saying I have been checked, and so you know a lot of these instances we hear about is just regular people like you and I and well and, and let's be honest, we put a lot of pressure on our heart. Mm. You know, like pretty much every day of my life, I ask a lot of my heart. You know, in training. Um, you know, and, and it's seeming to be that, you know, there are, there could be some costs of that. And so to have a, have spend a bit of money on yourself just to get an understanding. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, to me, it's just a good investment. You know, the one thing that you should always invest in, invest in is your health, mm-hmm. you know. And often it's that thing of we spend so much money on our image. You know, a lot of people spend so much money on image, but like, I remember years ago I wrote this piece and I got so much good feedback on it because I read Steve Jobs' book and one thing Steve Jobs' dad talked to him about was this whole idea of, um, it's the, it's, when you when you build something, it's the, pe- it's the thing that you, people can't see that you want to be most proudest of. Mm-hmm. You know, that you, they might see the outside of your product, but what's your inner or the behind the scenes and are you proud of that? Mm. And then I wrote, and I kind of did a comparison to that of the internal versus the external of your body and that so many people spend so much time trying to look good, but maybe they're not spending much time actually thinking about what's happening on the inside. And it's, it's obviously easy to focus on the external because we can see it, but it, it is important to get these checks done you know, like my healthy man check or yep. like, you know, these health checks that Dr. Jeff is talking about because you just want to know. Mm. And if you can make, if, like let's say you do go and you find out, well then you can get a good path, you can make good mm-hmm. choices so you don't actually end up in a place where it's a bigger problem which, you know, like good old Brucey, luckily for him, it's worked out pretty good. Yep. For a lot of people it doesn't. Exactly. You know, and, and if you can prevent it because you've spent, you know, 700 bucks on a test, well that's a good investment of your money so get it so, done yeah. team. Interesting stuff. Okay, John, uh, winger of the week. 
I just pulled up Strava right now, and uh, we're early in the week now. It's only Tuesday morning over in New Zealand time. Current leader on total distance for this week is the Philinator Phil Patterson. Oh, really? I don't know how he managed that. He's done 15.7 kilometres, so either Strava's not updating properly or... Uh, <laughs> you have no faith in him. 15.7k is on a Tuesday. I'm thinking surely somebody else has done uh, more than that. But anyway, that, that, that's this week so far. Last week's... Uh, oh, Strava's all stra- cock-a-hoot. It's all buggered up. It's, it's got ben, up. ben Washington. He's also from Christchurch. Uh, and he apparently was uh, the leader last week with 59 minutes of training. So not many people did much training last oh, week, according team, to this. sharpen up. Yes. If you're going to train, do your, do your training. So anyway, good couple of Christchurch lads there. Ben Washington and the Philinator, Phil Patterson. And you're going to hear from Phil later on the show. Okay, well, let's get into it. John, we've got a few Epic Camp interviews coming up. Who have we got, Jonbo? So first up, we've got Glenn Olsen and... Uh, he is like Mr. Consistency here on the camp. You know, he's just solid across the board. He's a, I'm pretty sure I ask him how big he is. He is a big unit. Really? And I'm not saying fatty or anything like that. Yeah, just solid. Just tall, solid, and has to drag that carcass over uh, over a lot of mountains. So, uh, and, and when it's very, very hot, you know, bigger guys usually struggle as well. He was just consistent all camp long, always in all the races. He was there or thereabouts, just niggling away. And he won the... Um, when we did our handicapped sort of triathlon race, he won the swim leg, and he was right. He was quite far up in the run as well, and he did okay on the bike. So he was uh, Mr. Consistency, and then uh, Glenn Osmond, uh, he was like a yo-yo. He was a great example of somebody who completely KO'd <laughs> mid-camp. Uh, so they found a, a second one. Yeah, a lot of the athletes you're going to hear about here, here talk about this day we rode uh, to Andorra. Uh, now from Andorra to a place called Prades, and that was when the weather completely packed in, and it was misery. And then, no, was it was that day? No, there was a different day, sorry, I'm talking about. His, his big day was when we rode to Andorra and we went over a couple of passes and, and it was about 40 degrees in, in the valleys and stuff. And he completely KO'd. I was rooming with him that night and I think we discussed this in the interview. He rolled in at about 9.30 at night. Oh, really? And he was out to it and I think he was out to it the next day as well um, but he managed to pull himself off the canvas and the last couple of days of the camp he came home really really strong so uh, enjoyed that and then the final interview is uh, Philinator Phil Patterson and he talks about doing the 100 100s um, which was uh, so that's 100 100s in the pool he did not he got sick on the last camp on the last second to last day and didn't get to do it so he's not as good a swimmer as you so what did he do them on they would. They had a group of them that did them on two minutes. Uh, and and did they, they stick to it? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, but they had four. F- there was either four or five of them did it together, and they were doing some well organised drafting. Oh, it was like push enough. off straight on the feet. Fair enough. You're swimming ten k. Yeah, so you got to yeah. do the distance. And they were doing them on two minutes. But the way that they broke it up really nicely was they were doing each person would lead five at a time, oh, okay. and so you really break it up. You just have to concentrate for five, and then you go right. I'm at the back, and yeah. then you just work your way up the line. So that was how That's they cool got through Because like, well, I couldn't do it at all now. But hundred on two minutes, I think I'd struggle with. But it's a cool way of doing it because you're a good swimmer. Because mm. what do you do it on? I was doing them on one forty five, which was pretty easy for me. So okay. it was more a case of just banging them out. Uh, so when, when you did your best. One, what'd you do? I think we've always, I think I've always done them on the one. When we did them way back, it was a lot quicker. Um, I think we did them on the, we think we did 20 on one, 30. How do you make sure you, you count them right? Uh, well, you kind of share the load, and these days with watches, you're, you're sweet. Okay. So 145 was pretty easy for me. So Phil talks about that, and, and those guys are not 
amazingly strong swimmers and Phil's done next to no swimming this year so that was a, a noteworthy performance and he also talks about the, the day uh, we rode from Andorra when the, the terrible weather uh, kicked in and that was quite an interesting uh, day so we rode 210 kilometres for so Phil and Ada and a couple of others did that uh, we had two passes went over one pass it was 2,400 metres high highest pass I think uh, in the Pyrenees it was about six degrees at the top it was pissing down with rain and then you have this massive massive descent so you, you're already soaked to the bone and then you've got to do like a you know 30 to 40 minutes of descending it was arctic and I had five layers on I was still freezing so yeah I really enjoyed these interviews so I hope you guys do as well okay here are the epic camp crew so we're about to start the final day of Epic Camp France and it's, what is it now, it must be about 6.30 in the morning, 6.55 and the queue is starting to accumulate outside the breakfast room because everybody's famished, having only eaten the, you know, eight or nine hours ago. Uh, the coffee machine's starting to grind away and a man who's got his coffee uh, first in the queue and my roomie for the last night and tonight is Glenn Olsen, he's back for his, I think, third camp so maybe Glenn tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from um, and sort of your background and uh, and what you do for sort of a nine-to-five uh, so I'm a software engineer I live in Washington DC um, and uh, background in sport was a soccer player and then um, when I turned 40 and stopped playing soccer I got into triathlon so I've been doing triathlon for the last 10 years how many software engineers have we got on this camp? Uh, at least three or four. <laughs> uh, very, very popular pastime. Right, you've done, uh, you did Canada and you did our last France camp from memory. Um, what's, what's, what brings you back? Uh, I mean, it's an awesome experience. Um, if uh, in a world of infinite time and resources, um, I, I would do all the camps. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to um, take a break from normal life. Um, get in a great block of training, um, get challenged by athletes that are really, really uh, strong, um, and to do it in a, uh, you know, in a great, in a foreign place, beautiful place, uh, you know, um, so a little bit of uh, vacation thrown into the mix. What, give us your, your, your statistics in terms of your size, because uh, obviously this is just audio, so people can't see what you look like, but give us your size. Uh, I'm 6'4", which I think is 190 centimeters, um, and uh, about 200 pounds, so 90 kilos. Clean. Mm. Built, built like a, uh, like more like a, a football player than a than a uh, endurance athlete. Glenn's the guy you want to be behind on the flat. So if you if you're lining up in the queue, in the queue, thinking who am I going to draft behind? It's not the grinder because uh, she's probably the smallest on the camp and we've got a couple of big hitters with Glenn and Pete and they're the ones, if we've got any headwinds, you want to get in behind. So um, you know, prior, to, prior to the camp, um, you, you kind of probably knew what you were getting yourself into. What were your sort of objectives uh, to try to achieve on this camp? Um, so I definitely knew what I was getting into um, and, uh, uh, you know, wanted to get in a great block of training um i wanted to challenge myself uh do a bit more of the extra stuff than i had done um in the previous camp um i was hoping not to go into a hole into too deep of a hole too early uh, so that i would be able to do um some of the extra challenges uh, which um has pretty much happened um 
and um, yeah, that's it really. Just it seems like you took that off. You know, um, most of the time I saw you tacking on. Not every day, but you, you tacked on most days. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, I did of course dig myself in a hole the first day, trying to keep up with uh, the main group. Um, with uh, there, there was you know three thousand meters of elevation gain in that first day, um, and uh, so the riding for the next few days was was pretty difficult <laughs> but uh it's actually started to come around in the past few days so um and what have been uh, what were you looking forward to the most and uh and maybe sort of your highs and lows of the camp uh, definitely looking forward to the climbs the most um uh, you know the getting to do um the tourmalet um was probably the highlight um for sure uh, the low light was definitely descending off of the port de Anvilara out of uh, Andorra. Uh, that was absolutely miserable. Um, I'm sure people have maybe read some of the blogs, but um, yeah, Tourmalet was magnificent. Um, hot day, uh, direct exposure, lots of sun. Uh, the tour had just gone up two days before, so the roads were freshly chalked with uh, all the messages of support for the riders, um, and uh, you know the climb was just so familiar from uh, from watching the Tour de France over the years. Uh, so that was just uh, amazing. And then uh, that <laughs> that port the Anvilara descent uh, in you know from 2,400 meters um, in cold in the clouds with lightning and rain and busy roads and low visibility was. Uh, probably one of the dumbest decisions I've ever made in my life. Uh, probably should have gotten the van, um, but yeah. I think there was only four of us that went down. I think there was myself, you, Phil, and Seth were the only dumbest ones to, to actually do that, and we uh, we did get pretty damn cold. Um, anything else about the camp? You know, uh, last few days some, some pretty epic eating. You guys were out last night. What were you What were you doing post dinner last night? <laughs> Uh, ice cream and beer. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, definitely have been eating um, a lot. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, so basically, you know, two dinners a night. <laughs> uh, it's been a pretty frequent um, occurrence that we've had our regular dinner and then we've gone out for a uh, second dinner. Um, pizza, uh, the couple nights, and uh, last night was. Uh, uh, three scoops, three scoops of ice cream and uh, and a beer. <laughs> nice. So final day, uh, we're going into it. I think you're pretty much tied on points with with Ben, and he's uh, he's got a quicker runner than you. You're probably a quicker biker, and uh, and you're probably about the same-ish in the swim. So yeah, so it could be could be an interesting battle. Are you going to lay it all down today? Oh, absolutely. Yep, hundred percent. Excellent. No, it was great to have you along again, and uh, thanks for being a great part of the camp. Thanks for having me. Okay, I've got uh, Glenn Osmond from, he can tell us where he's from and his sort of uh, his gig, because um, he's where he resides is different from where he's lived in the past and where he's from. So maybe tell us a little about your your journey to where you currently live and a bit of your, your background. Yeah, I guess um, I'm from Chicago, but uh, lived in the Middle East for a while where I got into triathlon um but now live in france so i live in chamonix and uh yeah so that's where i'm at now 
And um, I think I heard you saying the other day you've uh, your body shape has transformed a bit from where it was maybe a bunch of years ago. So tell us about that transformation. Yeah, um, I got into triathlon actually because um, I'd kind of got overweight. I'd been about 105 kilos and um, was yeah never considered myself to be a bit of a fatty, but uh, it turns out I was, <laughs> and um, couldn't I couldn't get up uh, Kilimanjaro. So I said, all right, I need to change this. I'm going to have to run. I said running seemed pretty easy. It wasn't as easy as I thought, but um, yeah. So then I then I got into running and sort of lost about thirty kilos from that. Uh, you you were probably one of the the later sign ups for the camp. Um, so tell us why why you signed up. Um, I started doing triathlon about nine years ago, and I I, I had done an Ironman, didn't go very well, and I decided I'd, I like short course, so I've been spending the last eight years really racing short course, and, and I like that. Um, I decided though I was getting, you know, high in the in the forties, and I wanted to at some point make a run again at an Ironman. Uh, so yeah, I decided I needed to start looking at how to train for long course. So that's kind of. And uh, yeah, I, I remember that from your emails. You say I want to, I want to see how how guys train. And I will, I will say that not many people train like what we've done the last ten days. So um, you have done some some epic things in the past in terms of Cape Epic. And uh, so has the camp been what you expected? Um, harder, easier? Kind of run us through what you thought it was going to be and compare it to how it actually turned out. Yeah. Yeah, I would say you know, I would say if you want a good good grades in school, it's like this. It's like you you don't sit in the back and tell yourself, "Okay, I'm going to study harder." You got to move to the front of the classroom. You got to sit with the other smart kids. You got to you got to go to their study groups and see what they do. So, I think this has been a perfect way to come and see what the other what the other smart kids in triathlon are doing in terms of how they train, what their approach is. And yeah, it was, it was really good to have a front row seat to that and say, okay, yeah, I've done a lot of training, but you know, the first day of camp, I did the longest ride I've ever done. So it, I've never done this kind of training. Um, and it was interesting to see how other people approached it. One thing I've noticed over the last couple of days is um, no, nobody's uh, completely detonated. Um, but some people are getting pretty tired. Some people are coming on strong. And uh, you seem to be one of those ones that, you know, probably, what are we, today's day 10, I think. Um, so probably day 7, 8, 9 have been your best days of the camp. Yeah, well, I would say I, I, I'm coming into it. I feel like I am coming into it. Um, the first few days were very hot. And I think when you're fit and lean, you do better in the heat. And I could be a little bit fitter. And I th so I think I've suffered a bit in the heat. Um, and then, you, you know, you learn that you can't win every battle. And, you know, but you will win some battles. So I had some pretty horrific days um, early on. And then I saw other people cracking and having some pretty horrific days after that, um, particularly when the weather turned cold. Uh, so then I was like, okay, you know, everyone, everyone suffers here. Now tell us a bit about your your day to Andorra. So what I can't even remember, what do we do before, before Andorra? Uh, I can't actually remember what we did in the morning. But then we biked to Andorra, and that's right. We did the elimination triathlon in the morning, which was extremely high intensity. Uh, and then we had to bike to Andorra, and uh, we went over one pass um, early, and then we had uh, some stinking hot 
flat riding and then a long long uh, just grind up to Andorra and uh, <clears throat> we'd had dinner and finished dinner and Glenn was rooming with me that night as well uh, and we, we, we were using this new tracking system it's called Life360 and with that it's uh, you can see where everybody is out on the on the map and uh, you can see where they're rolling in and uh, Glenn rolled in I think it was about nine o'clock at night so you'd, you'd had a long day so tell us how that unfolded and and how you actually felt at the end of the day I mean that was probably three days in the making because I was starting to suffer pretty early uh, in the camp as you as you mentioned and you know I knew the day after that it was a little bit less on the bike so I'm like okay I've just got to get to Andorra and then you know I, I should be all right um, but yeah it was a very hot day big climb in the beginning and then as you said crossing that valley and it was like a furnace mm -hmm. I sat in the supermarket going I'm not sure how I get back outside <laughs> um, and I literally like was going from picnic table to picnic table crawling my way there and I think probably one of the moments of for let, let, I don't say worst moments but it was definitely a tough moment it was uh, you know laying on the on the side of a roundabout and I had to cross over the barricade because cars would stop and say what's wrong with the cyclist <laughs> <laughs> so I crossed over on the other side of this barricade and was just laid out on the ground and my bike was there and and actually in Endura there wasn't data coverage so and <laughs> no one knew where I was at I actually appreciated that because I'm like I'm glad no one can actually see this <laughs> happening um, and I'm, I, you know, just peeling myself off and, and, and riding up. And so it was absolutely the, the worst part in terms of my physical part of the, of the week. But then, you know, getting to the top and, and the support crew was there and, and kind of helping me the last few kilometers. And then when I got to the hotel, the whole team is outside uh, waiting. And I think that that was that was pretty special. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, and then after that, I just passed out. <laughs> Did I, I had to keep an eye on you. I was like, go get some food. And then I thought, I reckon he's going to go in there. He's going to eat. And he's not going to remember <laughs> where the bedroom is. So I waited outside for you. And then, yeah, yeah. I can't even remember if you had a shower or if you just KO'd. But it was it was impressive. And the, the problem with that, uh, not the problem, but uh, riding into Andorra, it was sort of this gradual climb. And then the last I don't know 4k it was a decent gradient and when you were KO'd it was it would have been tough to get there so that was obviously the low light um what were some of the highlights for you it was funny probably on day seven Oli uh, or Swanier that the, takes care of us he was saying he's like okay so what was your favorite climb I'm like you know pretty much I, I think I've hated all these climbs <laughs> uh and then finally the last the last calm mm. you know we were we were climbing yesterday and um up to Col de Jao and it was just amazing. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, it, you get a little bit emotional because it's just so amazing going through this gorge and you see these therms, beautiful hotel, and then, you, you know, you get up onto this climb. And then we had, you know, that was the start kind of, you roll out of bed in, at an epic camp and you do a 1200 climb, um, of which half of that isn't even the calm. You know, that's just the warm up. So then we got to the calm and I was able to, you know, I wouldn't say smash it, but certainly at least get my heart rate back up and, and, and make a push for the, uh, you know, push for the top. Uh, so yeah, it was really nice to be able to actually attack that climb and and get to the top. And I took a picture of the coal sign. I don't do that, but uh, that one I actually did. <laughs> And uh, last day today, what are you what are you hoping to do? You gonna smash this try? You just gonna get through it? What's your plan? Yeah, every day I've been trying to smash it, um, whether it's looked like it or not. Um, you know, I, I didn't save anything yesterday doing the swim. I was able to you know get an extra point on the swim yesterday, so I, I consciously decided I wasn't gonna save anything. So whatever I have, I, I'll, I'll bring. <laughs>
Excellent. No, it's been fun having you on here, and, and yeah, I've enjoyed uh, seeing you persevere because it would have been very easy to throw the towel in and then come home strong. So uh, well done, and it will serve you well for your Ironman uh, when it rolls around. All right. Cheers. Thanks, John. Epic Camp France is nearly done and dusted. We're just sitting here after doing a triathlon on the final day, which was goddamn miserable. Uh, we swam 1,000 metres in a pool at Aixley Therms, and then we biked... 28, around about 28, 29 kilometres up a valley and back twice. Uh, got old Ben Walton just across from us, managed to take a spill on the bike turnaround. Everybody else uh, coped, I think. It was a bit of a hilly start, maybe a K, K and a half uphill, bit of a grind up the valley, turn around, come back, and then uh, head out again. And then the run was uh, a grind back up the hill, which uh, I, said, I think I said, I was borrowing Ollie Jenner's watch, and I set three new records on it for him. Um, but I can tell you one thing, the uphill first 1.5k was probably going to set a record for the slowest uh, slowest 1.5k's ever recorded. It was ugly. But one man who was smoking it out there, uh, and he's done his third epic camp, I think, is the Philinator Phil Patterson, who came home very strong after being a long way down on the swim. So Phil, tell us about your, before you start the rest of the camp, tell us about your race. Well, the um, swim was abysmal. <laughs> it was even worse than I thought when I came out. Um, there's only 12 campers yeah. on camp, and there was only th- mine was the third to last bike, so I knew I had a lot of work to do outside of that. Um, but once I got out of the swim, got that out of the way, um, yeah, I put a lot of effort into the bike. It wasn't quite as fast as I was sort of hoping, but did the best I could and um, pushed the downhills as much as I possibly could. I got your instructions mixed up and instead of wanting to go left and going right, I actually thought I was supposed to go left, not right, so I got mixed up. And But luckily I just passed Terry, so he put me in the right direction. And then came in and then I knew I had Seth and um, Glenn just up the road and I'd have to run pretty hard, especially Glenn, because he seems to be wanting to run away from me the whole camp. So I basically just laid as much as I could on the road. Yeah, just ran as hard as I possibly could and then... Um, had the last downhill which I think like you're saying it's about a, a K long or something and uh, I left it at the last 500 metres to catch Glenn which wasn't the best decision but I got him in the end by about I don't know five seconds or something across the line so I overall managed to slip into third place so to go from ninth after the swim to third I was reasonably pleased. Very good. Um, before the camp you know you've done it before so you kind of knew what you were getting yourself in for. Um, what was maybe a little bit different about this camp uh, compared to say previous camps? Not a lot different, I didn't really think. Um, hadn't done enough training, which is pretty typical. <laughs> hadn't done, I think, I looked on Strava, I think I'd done eight swims before I came to Epic Camp and then did those 100 hundreds on the fifth or sixth day, which luckily I was in a really good uh, group of guys with Glenn and Seth and Ben, and they managed to pull me through. Um, but no, nothing, I mean, it's like you've said, I just take each day as it comes. I try and do one extra point every single day, just so I don't want to come halfway in the world and do the absolute minimum. I want to do just more than the minimum. <laughs> um, so that was sort of the strategy, but no, nothing really different. I was sort of, I think, mentally prepared. We've just, just had uh, Dave Locke finishing. Sorry. Um, just that mental preparedness that there's going to be bad days and just got to keep moving forward and just don't stop. That's really the, probably the thing. I've taken into the camp but it's again no real different to any other camp. 
We've got um, some kid who's riding past us. We're just at the finish line for this triathlon. He's got some good bike skills. He's just constantly riding past with no hands down a hill, going around a corner without his hands on the handlebars. It's most impressive. Um, you're a bit of a cycling tragic. You know, you come from a cycling background. Uh, you had a couple of days watching the Tour de France beforehand, and you've done the Alps on the previous camp. Now you've done the Pyrenees. You know, what were you looking forward to the most, and um, and what was uh, some of your highlights in terms of riding through the um, through the Pyrenees? Some of the highlights probably was actually probably most people's low light was that day from Andorra when it was epic weather that was a day that your real mental toughness came into it um, and I was determined to, to get that done um, I didn't really focus on what the weather was I just turned my mental picture on that I had to get through it I didn't really care about the weather I just was determined to to just get it done when everyone else got into the van it got made me more determined to just keep at it um, but really the highlights were the tourmalay because you just see those climbs on the tour and just think uh, that was pretty wicked and because last time we did the uh, camp with the Alps and in 2016 went and stayed in Luchon and then when Rob Moore and Ian Wood and myself went to the top of the Perisord to see the riders come from the other side <coughs> So um, riding up from the same direction that they did was another highlight. Mm -hmm. uh, and then yesterday's climb, uh, two climbs that we had, um, I'm not very good with those, some of those names. Okay, one was Col de Joe uh, and the other one Port, Port de Bayer. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Best uh, climb and best ascent of the whole race. So we, we descended down to Aix-les-Thermes and... Uh, I think I got 78.8 kilometres per hour. I imagine Phil probably got higher than that, um, but it was was an epic descent. Um, what else questions did I have for you, Phil, other than your machine swimming? 100-100s when you've done no swims is, is highly impressive. Um, thousand bands. Yeah. Thousand bands. Th a thousand bands. I, I think I had three good swim tips, didn't I? Yeah. We went to the pool and I suggested that we do a thousand bands because I wanted to get that point. Um, Oh, now I can't remember. And, and the other one, we were sitting in a lake having lunch, and it was oh. about 43 degrees. No, I'm not exaggerating. That day, I think it was the recorded temperature in Luchon was 42 or 43. And the thought of going out and doing another bonus 30Ks was just stupid. So we'd done 3Ks in the lake, we'd had lunch, everyone else was going, and Phil said, Why don't we just do another 3K? I said, Hell yeah. It's that, so that's a 6k swim and that gives us bonus points. Uh, Pyrenees Multisport just going past in their van again. They've done an outstanding job. Uh, I don't think I've got too much else for you, Phil. Uh, any, any, other than your epic eating, anything else about the camp that uh, you want to get out there or, or encouraging other people to do the camps in future? Well, I definitely encourage people to do it. I mean, I, I want to get the title of the most camped camper. <laughs> So that's, that's my goal, because um, I've done four lights, I've done an epic Roth, and I've done three uh, full epic camps, two France and Canada. So I'm not sure how many I need to get to, but that's that's my goal in life, to become the uh, epic epic camper. Yeah. Um, but no, they're, they're just a, it's an awesome event. I mean, the thing is that you take everything out of your daily life. All you're doing is eating, which you do probably. Doing a lot over the last few days. Three times the amount. I mean, I think I'm going for a standard two entrees, two mains, and at least two desserts. It's effectively you just eat as much as you possibly can. Not what you want, because you've got to go past that to feel, feel yourself up. 
um, and then you know your washing gets done, you move from place to place and basically all you're doing is just training every day with all very like-minded people, um, excellent group of campers, excellent support staff and just like uh, real credit to you John about the way that you run these camps, They're, it's just an all-round good time. It does make you think, I wonder how much food, like the Tour de France riders, like we're, we're probably doing a similar workload, I, I know they're probably going more anaerobic than what we are, but we're out there, you know, some days, eight to ten hours, they're doing maybe more sort of three to six, but it makes you wonder how much food they must be consuming as well, and doing it for 21 days, we've only done ten or eleven. Yeah, I saw a video one day uh, on... YouTube something about them someone trying to eat the daily calories which I think is about 10,000 calories a day for some of those tour guys and I'm like it's, it's insane amount of food that, that they have the other thing I'd like to say about the camps and if you continue this on it actually the way that you've done it this time has been really good to include everyone so it's not about a time-based thing it's a time-based thing but based on your personal personal best so it's all percentage based so you got like Chrissy the grinder who's I think's taken out the yeah. KOM yeah. so um, no disrespect to her but probably one of the slower cyclists but because of her effort right relative to her maximum she's been able to do really well so that's been a really good addition I think this year because it's, it's meant that everyone's in the game all the time and everyone can get something out of it and being able to push yourself to where your maximum is or your potential is is, is much easily gauged now than it, what, than it used to be in the other one so that's yeah. been a really good addition I think it's made it significantly harder for me because like today, <laughs> today, I mean, I, I won the the triathlon, uh, but we had two th two two aspects of it going. It was it was a, uh, we started all together, so I was first across the line. So there's three points for winning the race, but then there's also the three points for whoever's able to produce the highest percentage across the swim, the bike, and the run. And I'm probably going to be almost last on that. I was miserable out there. So yeah, no, I agree. It, make, it keeps. The, forces you to keep the, the foot down. I could have eased off even more today and still won, um, but I knew if I did that, then I'm probably gonna fall down the, the, the placings a little bit. So that was a big difference for me on this camp was, uh, it was, I don't know, I, it certainly felt for me there was a lot more racing, like almost every day we were racing uh, and racing pretty damn hard. Yeah, that was something we were talking about last night, saying, uh, Seth was saying about the amount of running hard running we've done I think would probably be the most in any of the camps I think we've just about every second day we've been either doing it yeah. <laughs> you and I going out and doing those 7-1k reps was oh it was that was another really good day where that again that was that same Andorra climb where you go there's no way I can be anywhere close to those um efforts but when you put your mind to it you can it's amazing what you actually can do and that's that's really one of the most beneficial things i think from the camps is realizing you can do stuff when you think your body can't just don't listen to it so we, we did 210 kilometers uh, phil and i and we, we got off the bike and we started at 8 30 in the morning and we hadn't had many breaks we had a, a, a warm-up break at the top of the highest mountain and then i think we started our running at seven o'clock so we literally got back got changed, went out running at 7 o'clock and then we tried to do 7 by 1k at uh, within... 50% So it was 50% of your... No, no, it was, uh, it was 20, you had to be... Uh, I was trying to do 15 seconds off um, your 10k time would give you 3 points so for example, so my 10k average pace was 3 minutes 30 four or something like that I'm just uh, my mind's blur I can't remember too much so I had to be within 15 seconds of that for seven by 1k 
off a 210 kilometre bike on day six or seven or whatever it was uh, and then you get one minute rest each K uh, and the problem we had is my uh, my reconnaissance on what looked like a flat road was absolute shizer and so the drop was it was a 13 metre drop uh, across one K when we thought it was flat and that account that meant around about a 15 to 20 second swing uh, across 1k so we both did our first k and I was like mm, that was way under the time that I was thinking I should have done and the second k was miserable and Phil uh, could hear a lot of swearing out there <laughs> yeah no it was but um, that was a tough day that one but yeah we got up the next morning, I was, we were both pretty smoked. Well done Phil, great to have you back again. Thanks a lot, thanks for the camp, thanks to all the support staff, fantastic. Thank you. Okay Jumbo, questions and answers. answers. Okay, tip of the week John, yes, is this from you? No, well it's from me and good old uh, Finn Zweger, he just sent me through a link for a website called dynamiccyclist.com and he said, uh, he, he, he just... But it's a it's a subscription service for doing sort of flexibility work, and okay. so his his kind of point was he's in a bit of a lull with his training, and but and, and flexibility and strength and conditioning is often something that a lot of athletes it's the first thing to go. You're doing your swim, bike, and run. Yep. The first thing to go is probably the things that are going to help you the most is your flexibility work and your strength and conditioning work. And he's just saying he signed up to this dynamiccyclist.com. I haven't even, I had a quick look at it, but it's basically I think it's you know regular stretching and when you're paying for something you're just a bit more committed to doing it yeah. and I kind of feel the same thing like I've got um, Belinda's got Les Mills On Demand which is uh, um, yeah you can go on there and do Les Mills all, I know about it then, then yeah. John yeah, yeah. you get this got all these yeah, I'm sure you watch my video every day I have not even seen it yet no oh, mate. should watch it uh, so when there's that Financial investment, and especially if you can get something scheduled, and I'm not sure if they do that, you're more likely to do that. So you might go, okay, it's going to cost me 20 bucks a month or whatever to do that, but then I'm going to be committed. Do you use it? At least Mills On Demand, I do. What yeah. do you do? Uh, core. Okay. And a little bit of the, the balance. balance-y sort of yogury type stuff. Yep. You should do uh, pump. I could. Get, oh, I will look into it. Well, just for your strength. Yeah, I'll look yeah, into because it. Because I know you're not really into weights. And they have a 45-minute version of Pump as well. Right. And it's actually really hard. Um, but for someone like you who's not into weights, it's just a great way to get some weights in. Yes. You know? I know you don't have much time to train, but... Yep. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that was just a little tip of the week. Consider signing up for some sort of online platform where it's going to maybe force you to do that strength and conditioning rather than just thinking, oh, I've got to do 30 minutes core tonight and you don't really have a platform to work off. So consider that. Another message we had through on our Facebook page um, from Adam Laycock. Hey you boys, uh, you need to explain the hairstyle your centre has in the oh, uh, New beautiful. Zealand versus the Wallabies. So New Zealand played Australia in the rugby week, the weekend and we lost. Uh, and, and we've got our centre, this guy Jack Goodhue, he's, he's second five, not centre, isn't he? So he's, he plays in the backs. Good he's got Richie. this mullet like you... The good thing about it is it's, looks, it's how the mallet's meant to be. He's, he's hacked it. You know, like it, it ain't been styled. It's literally someone's got some clippers and just hacked the side off. He's got just, the bit out the back, but he pulls it off. You reckon? Yeah. I think he looks like an idiot. No, he Not that you cool. judge people by how they look, but I just think, yeah. And, well, it, and it's a theme. There's a number of All Blacks or a number of rugby players who've got that. His is horrific. There's some even worse examples where they've like shaved the side of their head and it's not like a mohawk, but it's like a long at the back. It's horrendous. Nice. He's class, John. He's class. Nice. He, um, we, were, we were watching the game at a friend's house the other night 
and uh, a couple of friends have some guys, teenagers or more, 18 young men now, and one of them has a lot of hair, and I go to mm. 100 bucks if I can get the clippers out oh, and you do it right now. Oh, you said that before, yeah, yeah. No, one time I did it to the kid, and this other kid, and he was tempted, but he wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. So much for a short show, I thought we had bloody bugger all here. Anyhow, the, the, the Aussies, you're impressive in the rugby, good work. Yeah, did our head in. But the only thing I, I will say is the red card to change the game. Yeah, I reckon they the, the, would have won anyway. Oh, I don't know. It was pretty close. Mm. But it was, a, it was a good game. You couldn't have said they would have won. Mm. It, w- it would have been close. Yeah. Whereas they, they they played amazingly. So this weekend's going to be awesome. Final thing we mentioned earlier on, Joe Skipper did the UK 12-hour time trial championships. Holy smokes. He was uh, pretty amazing. He went 312 miles, 502 kilometres. Average speed and power was... Uh, was bloody impressive really? and also uh, the Midnight Man which is a half distance race over there in the UK John Jacobs got second and Duncan Samwell got third place both regular listeners thanks for sending it through good old Rob Dutchy lines Jeez, that is a good effort 12 hours and that's on probably on pretty average UK roads I think it, I saw pictures some of it was on dual carriageways and stuff but yeah very impressive average speed so if you're interested in finding what out what is average speed? Uh, you have to pause. I'd have to go to his Facebook page. It was over. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was over forty kilometers an hour. Really, that's awesome, isn't it? You, you carry on telling us something about your week. That's and it, well, well, that was from Rub Dutchy Lions, and he's just got Midnight Man took place overnight. I've just said as well. that. Well, I'm just trying to fill your gap. <laughs> his mates Joe, Don, and uh, Duncan are all club mates, and they did it as well. So, um, Joe, John Jacobs got second. Duncan Samuel got third, and they're both regular listeners of the shows. That's why I did it, John. Did I fill the gap? Have you, have you, have you, are you quick enough? Not quite. Jeez, Getting there. It's creepers. Joe Skipper from Norwich did the 12 hour championship. I was going to say, the Rugby World Cup is looking fascinating, isn't it? It is. Because it, so for those who don't know anything about rugby, New Zealand has dominated the last decade. We've been pretty, you know, we've won the last two World Cups. And like the last World Cup, you was like, if we don't win it, something's wrong. And anyway, yep. we won quite comfortably in the final. This World Cup, New Zealand's been crying like crap in the last six months. It's, it's, yep. it's pretty hard watching the New Zealanders. But we've got a team of pretty strong teams, so you're not going to write us off. But every team's beating every team. Mm-hmm. So there's no one dominant team in world rugby right now. So going into the World Cup, it's going to be a fascinating... Oh, there's a helicopter again, John. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating World Cup because we just don't know... You can't. You, you wouldn't put money on anyone, would you? We've still got the best depth. That's what's going to help us out in tournament style play. Yeah, because our help. second fifteen is going to beat most. Uh, you know, be competitive, and that's the thing with rugby world cup. You get a lot of injuries. Yeah, even like the, the Welsh, that that um, Kiwi boy who's played yep. first five, he's out now. Anscombe, yeah. He's out. So okay, I'm going to make a prediction, John. So we. Joe, you got to get back in bloody kilometres. This mile's rubbish. I had to do it, go and work it out. So twelve hours and one minutes of riding. And it's about forty three k. <laughs> did you see my phone? Yeah, I did. Uh, 43.2. <laughs> I was going to say 0.2. But I mean, 325 miles, 27.1 miles per hour, 43.2 kilometres per hour. Awesome. Uh, What's the best your average in an Ironman? 34? 36. 36? Okay. Well, probably maybe close to 37, maybe. For, for five hour bikes, so it's 36 k's an hour. Yeah. So maybe 37, but bloody hell. It's impressive. Heart rate average 137, that's just above my Ironman effort. Power average 294 watts, that's a little bit below my FTP, but only by 20 watts or so. Sharpen up, Joe. Yeah. Sharpen up. Jeez. <laughs> so Joe's been injured with a running injury, so... Is he doing Kona then? Well, he's qualified, and I'm sure he's planning on going there, and he's going to be in great bike shape. God, 
I love Joe Skipper. He's one of my favourite guests we ever have on the show. Okay, John, uh, let's talk about our patrons. Let's talk about our patrons, Bevan. The patrons' names, Carol, the rock-solid Cooper. Caleb uh, Bellboy, double B guest. I'm getting there, I'm getting and there. And Brian, my old roommate, Hellraiser Hagen. Nice work. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to www.imtalk.me and you'll see the little link to becoming a patron. You win a, you get a chance to win a trip to Kona next year. Uh, you get to hang up the boys, which is really cool. Uh, also, you get gifts depending on the level of patronage, but more importantly, just support this show and we really appreciate all the people who are patrons of the show. If you want to get the show emailed to you, just go to www.imtalk.me. At the bottom of the main page is a little place where you inject your yeah, email address and your name and it'll get emailed to you each week if you want to become, get some coaching check out coachjohnnewson.com if you want to check out my other podcast I interviewed a guy by the name of John Quinn who is mm-hmm. the mental skills coach for the Crusaders okay that was a good interview it's on my, so if you like mental skills and stuff like that check out bevanjamesisles.com it was a good interview uh, content like age group of the week websites other feedback imtalkpodcast at gmail.com John what is your goss? what's my goss? had my race cancelled at the weekend that was uh, that was sort of a bit of a dampener on the weekend. Yeah, Outside of that, just getting back into a good routine. Got on top of things now. Settling into a normal week. Going to figure out what my next little plan is in terms of trying to keep me training with a bit more focus. Have you got, have you got, a, have you got a race lined up? Uh, I think I'm going to do some running and then maybe do a half marathon in November. That's my current thinking. Queenstown? No, no, no. There's a Christchurch-based one, so I'll do plan on doing that. You'd win your age group. Sorry? You'd win, you'd win Queenstown. I won it. Yeah. And I only did one nineteen one nineteen. Yeah, it's the week before my tri festival, which makes it a little bit somewhat um, challenging. So probably not. But yeah, maybe do a local one and then maybe just do some short course stuff over summer. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, outside of that, yeah, it's just a case of getting over the old uh jet laggy Rooney Roo, which is now complete. And uh That's about it, Evan. Have you had parent teacher interviews? It's about that time of year. No. Huh. No. Going on school camp with Felicity and uh oh, lucky weeks, you. it's gonna be good times. Had to put the old. Where do you uh, go? We're going to Hamner Springs. For how good. long? A couple of nights. It's going to be good times. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Well, John, we went to a friend's house to watch rugby the other night and a game mm-hmm. well done to Australia. Don't think you're going to win the World Cup, but well done. We'll give you that one. Although I've got to say, well done to Steve Smith in the cricket. I think you did that last week. That was pretty impressive. Mm. That was very impressive. Um, <clears throat> but more importantly, <clears throat> while we were there, the, the, the daughter. She's 16, had her 16th birthday party. So there's probably 20 kids there, maybe 25 mm-hmm. kids there of that age, mainly girls with a few young men. Mm-hmm. And our strategy for this night, John, was no kids getting pregnant under our watch. Oh, and I've got to say, John, we had to keep our eye on the ball. <laughs> we had to keep, because my mate's house is two-story. Mm-hmm. So everything's downstairs, mm-hmm. and they kind of got two lounges. So in the second lounge, the kids are doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are lovely kids, and then and we're in the other lounge watching the rugby, being the adults. Mm-hmm. And then you see, there's just a kid jump upstairs, and then a few mm-hmm. months later, a boy will go upstairs, and we're, mm-hmm. hey, what's happening out there? And then and then eventually, turns out two of them are in the toilet together, John. No kids oh getting pregnant on our watch. So we're banging on the door, get out of there, you little crapheads. <laughs> well, when you when you were sixteen and at a party, what were your moves? I had all sorts of moves. Just, what, what, just what, a standard leg rub was, was all that was required. <laughs> standard leg rub. The, the, the leg rub's exciting, isn't it? When you're sitting next to someone. Under the table. And, when you, and you, you know, you, you can see there's a bit of interest. So you kind of, it's, it's a slow strategy, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you kind of just slowly get your hand closer. Yeah. Then you might just move it a little bit. And lock it on. And then... <laughs> 
the end of the end of the they haven't pushed the hand away. Yeah, and you might just go for the rope, and then then you you lock it lock on. it hard. I remember when I was, my, I had a party at my house, and um, <laughs> I don't know how far I can go with this. Sorry, your daughter. Yeah, my parents didn't do a very good job of like making sure we didn't get pregnant. Yeah, but and Stephanie, my daughter's mother, and she came around. And uh, and we we, we we were a bit of rebelish, and mm. my parents had house that or looked after the house next door. Mm-hmm. The boaters, the boaters were this couple from the UK, and God knows how they lived in this area because we were in our sick, we were in a poor area when we were younger, and then we moved to Hillmilton, which is not poor but a little bit about poor. Yeah. Um, and so and they were a doctor and a teacher, and they had this really flash house in a pretty average area. Mm. So they went they went away. And my parents looked after the house. So we had to get the house. So me and my mates went around and made rocket fuel. <laughs> Just took a little bit out of all the yeah, alcohol. Played that game before. Yeah, the, the rocket fuel. A hopeless way to get drunk. Yeah. Or good way to get drunk, but a horrible way to get drunk. Mm. So all the friends came around. You know, the rock, everyone got a bit of rocket fuel in us. And then Steph and I somehow ended up in a sleeping bag together. And I was that. I was being pretty shy. Yeah. She was the one who was taking the initiative, John. Right. And I was a pretty happy young man. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> That's all. It's leaving it at that. <laughs> leaving it at that. But yep. So you got to. You're going to come up to these years pretty soon, John. Yeah. yeah. No, no kids getting pregnant on your watch. No kids getting pregnant on our watch. <laughs> but yeah, That's do, for sure. You do have to have the magnifying. You have to be alert. Yeah. And on the ball. Right. Because at that age, some hormones, hormones take, flowing. Take, they're taking over. <laughs> Radio, I'm Russ. Okay, I'm Hendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick Kick car. car.